When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Immigrantly, a safe platform for nuanced storytelling. I am Sadia Khan. In a world that might seem filled with hate and suffering, I am here to tell stories that go beyond the surface. I weave together different perspectives, challenging assumptions, and bringing to light the often ignored tales of resilience, vulnerability, and the shaping power of both strength and weakness in our human experiences. And to be honest, it's more crucial than ever to share these authentic narratives, creating a richer understanding of the complexities that make us who we are. And I'm so excited to introduce a guest who does the same. Siddharth Katragata is a San Diego-based artist who was born and raised in India. He is a painter, photographer, award-winning filmmaker, writer, illustrator, you name it. He probably does it. Through these various artistic media, he tackles a variety of social justice issues and works towards social change. I am so, so excited to sit down with him and talk about his art and beyond. So let's get started. you doing Siddharth? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good. You do so many things, Sid. You're a writer, illustrator, filmmaker, painter. But let's go back to your childhood. You grew up in India. Mm -hmm. Why did you decide to come to the US? I come from a very typical middle class family in India. My dad was a defense scientist and I think his salary was 500 rupees back then. My dad had a scooter and all five of us used to go on that. It was literally like a circus, five people on one scooter. So that's four siblings and you? No, my dad, my mom and three siblings. But it was a happy childhood and we didn't have any troubles or anything like that. My dad actually sent us to the best schools in the city, which happened to be an Anglo-Indian school. And that's where I picked up my love for the English language. Basically, he managed to send all three of us to the U.S. I remember coming to the U.S. with about $500 or something like that in my pocket. 
the idea was to get through the first couple of months with that and then try get a job and then you know stand on my own feet after that and that's how it happened where in india did you grow up so i was born in bangalore india and lived there for the first 22 years of my life before coming to the us for my masters i come from a family of writers going back to my great grandfather and my grandfather both of who were legendary writers in telugu literature and whose postal stamps were released by the indian government so uh, there is a writing lineage in my family but the art side of things is fairly unique i am not sure where that came from i am also an engineer by profession i guess that comes from my dad's side who were mostly civil engineers and then you come to the us in 1995 right yeah i came in 95 to texas oh wow texas what was texas like in the 90s I didn't like it to be honest. <laughs> It's not the best part of the US to come to. Place I came to University of uh, Arlington. It's uh, close to Dallas but there's no public transport and even to go to the groceries you had to beg someone to take you there and things like that. So it was just work work work. I had to do a couple of jobs and then go to class and things like that. So I I didn't really enjoy my two years there to be honest. but i did learn a lot because coming from india i didn't even know how to operate a bank account when i came uh, you learn to drive you learn to get stable financially and learn how to stand on your feet so you stayed in texas for only 2 years yes yeah, so after that i got my job in um, san diego which was at qualcomm so i moved to qualcomm and uh, i've been here since for the last 30 years so said you came to the us to do your masters in what i came uh, to do my master in mechanical engineering but then after the first year i moved to computer science so that's very typical of most indian students they come here and then they try to switch to a different field which is you know has better job prospects but growing up in india you used to paint right even as a child you used to draw things talk to me about that side of your personality how did that evolve so basically i think of myself as an engineer by day uh, but then an artist at all other times i started painting when i was about 5 or 6 so i used to paint on the walls of uh, a house one of my family friends who was in the us at that time gave me a book on russian painters I learned most of my painting through copying those paintings. So I never had a formal training in painting, but then to break down the colors and the break down the compositions I used that book. Hmm. Uh when I came to US and then I had to start working I didn't have much time for that but then in 2008 I started painting again. So at at this point I started diverging from realism towards abstract and also I started diverging to more towards Indian art. Why that transition? I don't know exactly how to put it but maybe I was homesick and this gave me a chance to connect with India again. I have always been enamored by the vibrancy of and colors of India. I wanted to tap into that. Why I focused on Indian women is because of their very vibrant attire, their bindis and their jewelry and the gold patterns in their sarees and things like that. But I also feel that it's very important for an artist to capture a culture. It's best done through its women. That's the reason why I decided to focus on women and most of my paintings are based on that theme. And later again I switched back to western art. and this was an attempt to do more of the social themes because of what i was seeing around the world especially in the us things like the george floyd incident so i wanted to capture those kind of events and make it a time capsule for society so said there's a lot to deconstruct here but i want to ask you 
for your definition of Eastern versus Western art? That's a good question. And it goes back a lot into art history. So Western art started out with more of religious paintings from the Italian Renaissance. Slowly, you know, it moved towards Impressionism and then towards abstract. So it has gone through a lot of transformation. Indian art or South Asian art started off with uh, the miniature paintings, which uh, may be the Mughal paintings. And then it has always been figurative. Mm. So there's always a central figure. Maybe it was religious in the beginning. It was maybe depicting the kings, the emperors and those kind of things. But there's always a figure in the middle. So even today, it's like that. There's very little abstract art in India. My art actually captures the figurative side of the folk people of India, especially in the Telangana region. So it captures the essence of those people, the dressing and the stories that they have to tell, basically. So I have a lot of uh, various series based on those. Like uh, first I started off with uh, the series to capture the dark skin of Indian women and the contrast with the vibrant uh, saris and things like that. The second series was based on Sita. I don't know if you know Indian mythology, Ramayana and stuff like that. I've heard of it. So Sita is Rama's wife and she's abducted and taken to Sri Lanka and Rama goes and rescues her. So this series is about Sita while she was in the forest during the 14-year exile and her interaction with the animals around her and the mythology surrounding that. So keeping in mind your theme and your focus on women, let's talk about your short documentary, Blind. Was that an official selection for Oscars in 2020? Uh, it was in 2020. 22. Talk to me a little bit about the short film. Why did you pick the topic and how did you meet Shweta? So it started with Dr. Chandrasekhar, who is a Padma Shri Award winner in India. So he did a lot of work on, on helping the blind. Sid, can you talk a little bit about what Padma Shri is for listeners who may not know? Padma Shri is given to people who are uh, the top in their particular fields and in this case it was I think he was philanthropy basically he's a gastroenterologist so he helped the blind in dealing with their problems with hygiene and he also had another system of braille where blind people can follow traffic safety for example when they're crossing the street they have no visual aids or anything like that in India he wanted to make a documentary on that and he found my film Varanasi online which had won a couple of awards so he thought I was the best uh, you know, person to come and make this film, so he hired me to do that. The repeated infection. The film goes into the issues uh, Shweta faces in attaining puberty due to her various illnesses related to her blindness and how Dr. Chandra's interventions help to improve her health and attain maturity. It's a happy ending kind of movie, but it also deals with a very stark issue, especially in India, which has the highest number of blind people in the world. So after we reached uh, Chennai, we had only about five to six days of shoot. And then we had to kind of find all the equipment, the cast and the crew and everything like that. Uh, we didn't even have the, the lead actress for it because 
Dr. Chandrasekhar and his team had selected five blind girls and the one that we actually chose prior to me going there bailed out in the last minute so it was pretty heartbreaking but then we found the perfect uh, girl in there and she and her family they've gone through a lot her mom is also blind so they are kind of blind for many generations her father went against uh, his family to marry his wife so there was a lot of uh, you know like story and emotion behind that but they they were not really opening up in the first uh, couple of days of the shoot and the challenge with documentaries is you need to get the human story out so the challenge there was to get them comfortable and get them to open up about their lives and a lot of it is personal so they really don't want to you know divulge that information so asking the right questions so that you go you know deeper and deeper into their conscience and then get the right kind of emotion out of that give me an example i mean a, g- a good example was asking about an incident which really shook them in their life was there any incident where they were put down by the public and then uh, for example the father he told me that whenever he goes to his house his mom refuses to touch his daughter and every time she touches the daughter she goes and washes her hands as if she inherited that blindness or is contagious or something like that so stories like this are very you know like very touching and i found it very shocking actually Sid, I do want to expand this conversation a bit because through this film, you've tried to end stigma and taboos around blindness. Can you talk a little bit about what those taboos are in India? People think that it's contagious or people are not really aware of the genetic nature of it sometimes. Uh, and hence, there's a lot of blindness going through the families. So I read somewhere that it's also believed that that it could be a punishment for somebody's past sins is that true yeah so there is a concept of karma in india the good deeds that you do in this life will be rewarded in the next life and the bad things that you do will come back to haunt you in the next life and so people who are religious they believe that the blind are basically repaying for the sins that they've committed because of this there's no effort for people to really try to help them they believe that this is a cycle and people like chandrasekhar for example they are breaking down these stigmas and these taboos and me through my film i wanted to do the same through this film you've talked about the healthcare system prejudice discrimination blindness what did this documentary tell us about the indian healthcare system it talks a little bit about that for example when uh, shweta was born i think they took her to a number of hospitals and they didn't treat her on time and the condition got worse and she got completely blind we interviewed an optometrist or an optical surgeon actually so he talked a little bit about albinism so there was another blind girl in my film who had albinism it's a pigmentation kind of thing but they also have a problem with their eyesight so he talked about some of the stigmas that these people have in approaching doctors and then the condition gets worse because they come too late and again there's superstitions behind it because albinism is actually genetic they're not aware of it they think again it's because of karma or the superstitions behind it so from what i'm hearing it's not just poor healthcare system but it's also lack of education on the part of family members and patients right yeah Yeah, it's a combination of two. Uh, I would say the healthcare system is pretty good, 
but then for the poorer sections uh, they have to go to the uh, you know the government hospitals where the care may not be that good and the second aspect is them not really going on time because of all these superstitions or they just assume you know that this is something you're repaying for your past sins and right uh, they don't understand the science behind it I want to understand the process of filmmaking for you. If you could just walk us through that. Process in any film starts with the screenplay. It's not that important in documentaries, but in the fiction movies, it's one of the biggest processes because script is everything. It's 90%. In Hollywood they spend years, maybe 5 years in the script, fine tuning it and things like that and you see the end result and you think oh they made it. in a few months but it actually takes many years but with the documentary there's a different challenge because you're not really writing a scene you're trying to figure out how to bring out a human story which you have no idea about and what kind of questions you're going to ask and how to bring that emotion out and how to bring the story out so with blind i did everything end to end uh, there was no like sets so there's no production design or anything like that so i had like spreadsheets and spreadsheets of what's the budget and what's the short list for example what are the locations should i do this at this time of the day or should i do it at another time because all the locations may not be available at the same time so it's a lot of planning especially given that we had only 5 or 6 days so you basically filmed the entire thing in 5 days yes and it's it was a pretty big short film it's actually 30 minutes so we had maybe hours and hours of footage that we had to edit That's long for a short film. The short films are usually around 12 to 15 minutes. So we had to do a lot of planning and even things like a location, right? Where for example, her house is outside the city and the doctor's hospital is in the middle of the city and you know going back and forth is almost impossible in 6 days because you lose half a day just going back and forth. So we had to actually construct a fake home which is close to the hospital. So he had a kind of a site which had a old, you know, dilapidated house. We had to renovate that a bit. and that took like you know most of a day and then we could actually control that space with all the lighting and things like that making a wrong decision by going to our house would have completely uh, messed up the whole shoot so small things like that oh my gosh that's so interesting i never thought of that so varnasi was a, a completely different challenge because uh, we actually went to the city during one of the busiest periods there's a ganga mahotsav it's a festival which happens i think once in 5 years The journey to Varanasi was long and tiresome, first by train then by road. Ram and his mother set off in a beaten 4x4. Cab driver played folk music, you know, the kind that deafens the ears but warms the heart. What city are we talking about? Uh, Varanasi. So it's a holy city in India, which is probably one of the oldest cities in the world. There are various names to it, city of light, city of death, but people come there to cremate the bodies. and the, the belief is that if you cremate the body there you straight go to moksha i mean there's no clear heaven concept in hinduism but there's concept of cycles and rebirth and things like that so the goal is to escape that cycle if you are cremated there you go straight to moksha which means that you're not born again so that's the belief and that's why a lot of hindus go there to get cremated and the holy river of ganga is supposed to speed that process up so that place was filled with thousands and thousands of people and it was just me my mom and the main actor we did most of the shoot guerrilla style which is like you just go in the public and start shooting and there's no permits or anything like that 
and it was just three days. Again, the movie is quite big, about thirty minutes, and we experienced a lot of stuff. And while coming back, we had to take a train to a different city. And that train, because of the festival, was so full that our compartment had about thirty to forty people in a space that's meant for about five people. Oh my gosh! And we had reserved the compartment, and then everybody was sitting on top of each other. And that's the first time I actually witnessed racism in India, because there was this Buddhist monk. He was sitting near the window, and there was a group of students who had entered, and they wanted to take a seat, and they started abusing him racially and calling him, you know, Chinese and whatnot. And they even threatened to throw him off the train if he didn't give up his seat. Sir, I want to ask you about something that you said, and I'm going to read your quote. You said that a hundred years from now. you and i quote want your art to be a time capsule of society as it exists today now if somebody looked at your art and only your art in say 100 years what would you hope they take from it i'm i'm a quiet person i'm not uh, an activist i mean i i cannot go out in public and give speeches and things like that but my anger comes out in the paintings so i want them to see my anger and my emotion behind it and i want my paintings to be the activist for me yeah and activism manifests in many forms right yes i believe that a picture is worth a thousand words so you can go out and write a, you know like an article and get it published or you can go in the public and give a speech or you can have this permanent piece of work that's there in a museum somewhere and whenever people see that they're reminded that this thing actually happened because people Tend to forget. So, from painting uh, Indian figurative women, I moved to a broader theme of capturing social issues. I was influenced by the anti-war paintings of Picasso, and although my paintings are not cubist, and I have my own style called holism, I kind of started painting uh, more about the humanitarian issues uh, that are plaguing our society today. Whenever I hear news like the George Floyd murder, for example. i express that anger that i feel through my art uh the absurdity of these events pours onto my canvases and i know political paintings are not the most popular or they're just for museums and not for uh, you know people to hang up on their walls but i want my art to be a time capsule of society and remind people of these kind of incidents so you want people to learn from your art but what would they learn about the society if they were to see your art only in 100 years so there was this guy in india i think his name was akhi yadav he was supposed to have raped about 300 women so when he was being tried all these women came to the court and they murdered him each one taking a turn oh, wow so this actually happened and the painting actually captures that so a lot of my paintings have some mythology also so lord narasimha is in hindu mythology is an avatar of vishnu who comes down when there's this demon who's demonizing the whole village the demon's son is a devotee of lord vishnu and he prays to lord vishnu and he comes down and he places the demon on his lap and he splits the stomach open so that's a very famous motif in indian mythology so i use the same motif at i'm placing the rapist on lord narasimha's lap and then there's women with the knives they're stabbing him why mythology I use Greek mythology and I use Hindu mythology because it uh, has a lot of symbolisms. Mm. Uh, Narasimha is a symbolism of good versus evil. Uh, the bull in the George Floyd painting is a symbol of oppression. 
So you can show the person kneeling on his neck or you can use the symbolism. And the symbolism is more far-reaching than having actual realism. Sit in the end. If you were to define the United States of America through your painting, how would you define it? I actually have a painting on that called The Trail of Tears. It's again going a lot back into history about the Trail of Tears, what happened to the native Indians. The whole painting is actually a flag of the US mm. uh, with the stars and everything, but it's red in color, so symbolizing blood. And then you have various motifs again cutting through the flag and with knives and everything. Thank you so much Sid for coming. It was wonderful. Where can people find more information about your work? My paintings are on my website and they're also on sachi.com, sachi online, and my films are on Prime and on IMDb. I wrote an article on CNN Eye Reporter back in 2011. So this was about the famous Delhi rape uh, on which the Netflix series Delhi Crime was based and uh, Sarah Brown from CNN London office picked up the article and published it and it became very famous or infamous because of some backlash based on some of my ideas so Sarah's article which quotes my thoughts is still available on CNN if you google it thank you so much it this was wonderful thank you thank you for your time you know what this was an informative episode for me i learned a lot from said about indian mythology the process of creating a documentary his thoughts i will say this said is a quiet person and yet there is so much that he's trying to create and he has created and there is so much artistic expression in the work that he does i'm so glad i sat down with him this is probably one of the last episodes of 2023 we will release an episode on christmas which i am really really excited about i'll talk about christmas from my perspective and by the way i don't celebrate christmas so it'll be an interesting conversation do come back for that this episode was produced by me Sadia Khan written by Vipasuki Carlson and Bobak Afshari our editorial review was done by Shay Yu our sound designer and editor for this particular podcast episode is Paruma Chakravarti our theme music is done by Simon Hutchinson come back next week for a fun christmas episode until next time take care